Yes. Well, perhaps we are circling, getting ever closer to properly launching into the episode. Jake's fortifying his energy with a cookie now. I am sitting comfortably, but I have to sit in a way that's less comfortable so that I can stay <laughs> active and not start to sink into just full comfort. So that your language goes down here. <laughs> we have an audience member today curled up on the couch. Some say she is my wife. <laughs> oh, God. Others <laughs> refer to her simply as Hannah. Uh, what else? What should else? Should we record this next week? <laughs> <laughs> we got this. All right. All right. Here we go. <clears throat> Any vocal warm ups we know? Who just scream uh, for like 10 minutes? Unique New York. Minutes? Unique New York. <sighs> just do a bunch of push-ups really fast. Should we bench each other? Just bench each other. Yeah, if we do, if we both push at the same time, I think we'll just <laughs> float up off the ground. <laughs> Hello and welcome again to Super Duper Stitches. The paranormal podcast about the science behind the strange. I'm Wyatt. I'm Jake. And believe it or not, we are at this very moment... But I would say maybe six or seven feet away from one another. Jake extending his foot for a little foot touch. Uh, oh, it's happening. Physical contact. We are in the same room. This is the first time we've recorded together in, I want to say, two years. I believe since... Almost to the day. Yeah, to the uh, it was the Halloween episode of 2019. So that's a rather long time. Mm-hmm. We've been hanging, and it's been nice. Yeah. This is the fifth annual Super Duper Stitches Halloween Spookstravaganza. My goodness gracious, which marks a half decade of content. Some good. The rest, S- you know, <laughs> yeah, whatever it is. The rest, uh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely out there. been provided to the public. This is also, I th- depending on how we release this stuff, this might be our 150th episode. Ooh. I don't know what we're doing, so it might be the 151st. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll force it. But yeah, thank you very much for joining us. If this is your first episode, I'm Wyatt. I'm Jake still. I think we said that already. Oh, this is a show where (laughs) normally we talk about spooky things, strange things, unexplained things, and we try to uh, sort of uh, analyze those things, explain them, perhaps even debunk them using our science backgrounds. Uh, Today, in honor of the spookiest holiday, we will be just diving into tales and just relishing those. Yes. There will probably be no science today, for all I know. So, just uh, deal with it. Enjoy deal, it. deal with that. Enjoy. Join us on this journey. It's, what is this? Either an odd or an even-numbered episode. That's Whoa. true. I actually don't know Wow, we're sure. stuck in a quantum uh, <laughs> bind here. Well, here's what we should say. Do you want to start with funny and end on scary, or vice versa? Start scary and funny. All right. Do you want to pause for a second? Just have a cookie each and uh, <laughs> we're not you eating it much. Huh. Yeah. I'm going to go first. And uh, Looks like you have barely enough light. <laughs> oh, this is going to be perfect. Yeah? So this Halloween I have for us a 1943 <laughs> short story by Anthony Boucher entitled They Bite. Ooh. I have Emeritus Professor John Cerullo to thank for this one. Uh, the same fella who we can thank for our introduction to uh, Jeff the Mongoose all those yes. years ago. Way back in episode, what, two? Five? Five? I think five. Wow. I don't fucking know. Doesn't matter. It was a single digit number. It was in the singletons. It was a while ago, and it was magical. Yes, and we were but children. <laughs> we're so young. So we're so, so young. So stupid. Were we both in our 20s still? Uh, we may have been. Christ. Wowzers. That is actually kind of crazy now. Wow. Um, so. Anyway, I'll begin <laughs> Thanks again to John. There was no path, only the almost vertical ascent. Crumbled rock for a few for a few yards with the roots of sage finding their scanty life in the dry soil. Then jagged outcroppings of crude crags, sometimes with accidental footholds, sometimes with overhanging and untrustworthy branches of greasewood, sometimes with no aid to climbing but the leverage of your muscles and the ingenu- um, ingenuity of your balance. Hmm. The sage was as drably green as the rock was drably brown. The only color was the occasional rosy spikes of a barrel cactus. Hugh, it looks like huge talent. Hugh Talent, T-A-L-L-A-N-T, Ooh. swung himself up onto the last pinnacle and unslung his field glasses. His name wasn't Hug H. Talent? <laughs> I don't believe so. 
Hugh Talent swung himself up onto the last pinnacle and unslung his field glasses. The desert valley spread below him, the tiny cluster of buildings that was Oasis, the exiguous cluster of palms that gave name to the town and shelter to his own tent and to the shack he was building, the dead-ended highway leading straightforwardly to nothing, the oiled roads diagramming the vacant blocks of an optimistic subdivision. Talent saw none of these. His glasses were fixed beyond the oasis and the town of the same name on the dry lake. The gliders were clear and vivid to him, and the uniformed men busy with them were as sharply and minutely visible as a nest of ants under glass. The gliders? Gliders, yes. Uh, people using, I think, like, as opposed to planes, like the mm. kind of glide type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The training school was more than usually active. One glider in particular, stranger talent, seemed to focus, uh, seemed the focus of attention. Men would come and examine it and glance back at the older models in comparison. Only the corner of Talon's left eye was not preoccupied with the new glider. In that corner, something moved, something little and thin and brown as the earth. Too large for a rabbit, much too small for a man. It darted across the corner of vision, and Talon found the gliders oddly hard to concentrate on. This is going to be tremors. Damn it, you've heard this one already. (laughs) (laughs) He set down the binoculars and deliberately looked about him. His pinnacle surveyed the narrow, flat area of the crest. Nothing stirred. Nothing stood out against the sage and rock, but one barrel of rosy spikes. He took up the glasses again and resumed his observations. When he was done, he methodically entered the results in his, bla- in his little black notebook. His hand was still white. The desert is cold and often sunless in winter, but it was a firm hand and as well-trained as his eyes, fully <laughs> capable of recording faithfully the designs and dimensions which they had registered so accurately. Wow, what a detail. (laughs) Once his hand slipped and he had to erase and redraw, leaving a smudge that displeased him. The lean brown thing had slipped across the edge of his vision again. Going toward the east edge, he would swear, where that set of rocks jutted like the spines on the back of a stegosaur. (laughs) Only when his notes were completed did he yield to curiosity, and even then with cynical self-reproach. Wow. He was physically tired, for him an unusual state from the daily climbing and from clearing the ground for his shack to be. The eye muscles play odd nervous tricks. There should be nothing behind the stegosaur's armor. Hmm. There was nothing, nothing alive and moving, only the torn and half-plucked carcass of a bird, which looked as though it had been gnawed by some small animal. Thought so far, how's uh, yeah, These candles are interesting. They're, they throw a lot of light until they don't. That's <laughs> correct. The, he is looking over the desert. Mm-hmm. He's on like an army base. He is near what seems to be an army um, like training area and taking notes on what's happening there in his little notebook. And he's he's noticing sneaking up and some kind of wriggling thing out there. Some weird scurrying brown thing. Slightly lost me with the stegosaurus thing. Oh, he's just saying some rocks that looked like a stegosaurus. Ah, thing. The thing you, ran behind you. that. And he's like, so this little squiggling thing, still in the distance. Yes. He's looking around. And he, his hand, he's got a real good hand. Got a nice, nice, strong... Uh, Man's hand. Man hand. It was halfway down the hill, hill in western terminology, though anywhere east of the Rockies it would have been considered a sizable mountain. The talent again had a glimpse of a moving figure. This was no trick of a nervous eye. It was not little, nor thin, nor brown. It was tall and broad and wore a loud red and black lumber jacket. It bellowed talent in a cheerful and lusty voice. I'm oh, sorry. Talent? <laughs> That'd be more of a lusty voice. Talent drew near the man and said, Hello. He paused and added, Your advantage, I think. The man grinned broadly. Don't know me? Well, I dare say ten years is a long time, and the California desert ain't exactly the Chinese rice fields. How's stuff? Still loaded down with secrets for sale? Talent tried desperately not to react to that shot, but he stiffened a little. Sorry, the prospector get up had me fooled. Good to see you again, Morgan. Morgan advantage? No, he said he, you have the advantage. Like, he didn't know who the guy was, so like you seem to know me. But I, don't I thought know he you. said, you have me, advantage. <laughs> you have the, adv- <laughs> the advantage. The man's eyes narrowed. Just having my little joke, he smiled. Of course, you wouldn't have no serious reason for mountain climbing around a glider school now, would you? You'd kind of need field glasses to keep an eye on the pretty birdies. Oh. I'm out here for my health, Talon's, vo- uh, Talon's voice sounded unnatural, even to himself. I'm out here for my health. <laughs> sure, sure. You're always in it for your health. And come to think of it, my own health ain't been none too good lately. Got me a little cabin away, uh, way to hell and gone around here. And do me a little prospecting now and then. Somehow it just strikes me, talent, like maybe I hit a pretty good load today. If you know what I'm saying. (laughs) 
nonsense, old man. You can see, I'd sure hate to tell any of them army men out in the, at the field some of the stories I know about China and the kind of men I used to know out there. Wouldn't cotton to them stories a bit, the army wouldn't. But if I was to have a drink too many and get talkative like... Tell you what, Talon suggested brusquely. It's getting near sunset now, and my tent's chilly for evening visits. But drop around in the morning, and we'll talk over old times. Is rum still your tipple? Sure is. Kind of expensive now, you understand. I'll I'll lay some in. You can find the place easily over by the oasis. Hmm. We might be able to talk about your prospecting, too. Talon's thin lips were set firm as he walked away. So he... Uh, this is, again, this was written, I think, in 1943. So this, mm-hmm. I believe, takes place... Uh, contemporarily with the time it came out. Correct. So it had been during World War II. Mm. And uh, this guy, Talent, was a... Um, apparently was in the army with this uh, other guy and... This other guy's maybe got some secrets about Talent. Yeah, he knows that Talent does some spying, which seems to be what some he's doing with the glider craft. school. He's just kind of... I'm not sure who he's selling his notes to, but uh to be spying in some capacity. Slightly sneaky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. The bartender opened a bottle of beer and plunked it on the damp circle counter. That'll be 20 cents, he said, then added an, as an afterthought. Want a glass? Sometimes tourists do. Talent looked at the other sitting at the counter, the red-eyed and unshaven old man, the flight sergeant unhappily drinking a Coke. It was after army hours for beer. The young man with the long, dirty trench coat and the pipe and the new-looking brown beard and saw no glasses. I guess I won't be a tourist, he decided. That was the first time hmm. Talent had had a chance to visit the desert sports spot. It was as well to be seen around in a community. Otherwise, people begin to wonder and say, who is that man up by the Oasis? Why don't you ever see him anyplace? Hmm. The sports spot was quiet that night. The four of them at the counter, the two army boys shooting pool, and a half dozen of the local men gathered around a round poker table, soberly and wordlessly cleaning a construction worker whose mind seemed more on his beer than on the cards. You just passing through, the bartender asked sociably. Talent shook his head. I'm moving in. When the army turned me down for my lungs, I decided I'd better do something about it. Heard so much about your climate here, I thought I might, uh, might as well try it. Sure thing, the bartender nodded. Hmm. You take up until they started the glider school. Just about every other guy you meet in the desert is here for his health. Me, I had sinus, and look at me now. It's the air. Talent breathed that the atmosphere. Dryer. Yes. Talent breathed the atmosphere, smoke, and beer suds, but did not smile. I'm looking forward to miracles. You'll get them. Whereabouts are you staying? Over that way a bit. The agent called it the old Carker place. Talent felt the curious listening silence and frowned. The bartender had started to speak and then thought better of it. The young man with the beard looked at him oddly. The old man fixed him with red and watery eyes that had a faded glint of pity in them. Mm. For a moment, Talent felt a chill that had nothing to do with the night air of the desert. The old man drank his beer in quick gulps and frowned as though trying to formulate a sentence. As he wiped beer from <laughs> his bristly uh, lips and said, You wasn't aiming to stay in the adobe, was you? <laughs> No, it's pretty much gone to pieces. Easier to rig me up a little shack than to try and make the adobe livable. Meanwhile, I've got a tent. That's all right then, maybe. But mind you, don't go poking around that there adobe. I don't think I'm apt to, but why not? Want another beer? The old man shook his head reluctantly and slid from his stool to the ground. No, thanks. I don't rightly really know as I... Yes? Nothing. Thanks all the same. He turned and shuffled to the door. Talent smiled. But why should I stay clear of the adobe? He called after him. The old man mumbled. What? They bite, said the old man, and went out shivering into the night. They bite. The end. Yeah. Um, he looked straight in the camera. He looked straight at the camera. Said, they bite. And then shuffled out the door. <laughs> the bartender was back at his post. I'm glad he didn't take that beer you offered him, he said. Along about this time in the evening, I have to stop serving him. For once, he had the sense to quit. Town pushed his own empty bottle forward. I hope I didn't frighten him away. Frightened? Well, mister, I think maybe that's just what you did do. He didn't want beer that sort of came, like you might say, from the old Carker place. Some of the old-timers here, they're funny that way. Talent grinned. Is it haunted? Not what you'd call haunted. No. No ghost there I ever heard of. He wiped the counter with a cloth and seemed to wipe the subject away with it. The flight sergeant pushed his Coke bottle away, hunted in his pocket for nickels, and went over to the pinball machine. The young man with the beard slid onto his vacant stool. Hope old Jake didn't worry you, he said. <laughs> Ironically, I feel like old Wyatt is, I'd argue, a better old West name. Hey, you know what? I do too. <laughs> old Jake. Uh, Talent laughed. I suppose every town has its deserted homestead with a grisly tradition. But this sounds a little different. No ghosts, and they bite. Do you know anything about it? <laughs> a little, the young man said seriously. You see, the desert's so big, you can't be alone in it. Ever noticed that? It's all empty, and there's nothing in sight, but 
there's always something moving out there where you can't quite see it. Something very dry and thin and brown. Only when you look around, it isn't there. Ever see it? Optical fatigue, Talent began. Sure, I know. Every man has his own, uh, to his own legend. You've heard of the Watchers? And the 20th century white man comes along and it's optical fatigue. Hmm. Only in the 19th century, things weren't quite the same. And there were the Carkers. Ooh, it's getting spicier. Mm. You've got a special localized legend? Call it that. You glimpse things out of the corner of your mind, same like you glimpse lean, dry things out of the corner of your eye. You encase them in solid circumstance, and they're not so bad. That is known as the growth of legend, the folk mind in action. You take the carkers and the things you don't quite see, and you put them together, and they bite. Mm. And what were the carkers, talent promptly, uh, prompted politely? Ever hear of Sonny Bean? Scotland, reign Sonny of James Bean. I or maybe the sixth. Or let's be more modern. Ever hear of the Benders? Kansas in the 1870s? No? Or Polyphemus? Or, or Fee-Fi-Fo-Fum? <laughs> there are ogres, you know. They're no legend. They're fact. The inn where nine guests left for every ten that arrived, the mountain cabin that sheltered travelers from the snow, sheltered them all winter till the melting spring uncovered their bones. The lonely stretches of road that so many passengers traveled halfway, you'll find them everywhere. All over Europe and pretty much in this country, too, <laughs> before communications became what they are. Profitable business. And it wasn't just the profit. The benders made money, sure, but that wasn't why they killed all their victims as carefully as a kosher butcher. Sonny Bean got so he didn't give a damn about the profit. He just needed to lay in more meat for the winter. And think of the chances you'd have at an oasis. So these carkers of yours were, as you call them, ogres? <laughs> carkers, ogres, uh, carkers, carkers <laughs> ogres, maybe they were benders. The benders were never seen alive, you know, after the townspeople found their uh, those curious butchered bones. And the time checks pretty well. Hmm. <laughs> There wasn't any town here in the 80s when the Carkers moved in. Nobody worried about them. But they used to worry about why so many travelers never got across this stretch of desert. Travelers used to stop over at the Carkers, you see. And somehow they never, they often never got any farther. Their wagons would be found maybe 15 miles beyond in the desert. Hmm. Sometimes they found the bones, too, parched and white. Nod looking, they said sometimes. And nobody ever did anything about these Carkers? Oh, sure, we didn't have King James to ride up on a great white horse for a gesture. But twice, army detachments came here and wiped them all out. Twice? One wiping out would do for most families, Talent smiled. <laughs> uh, once didn't do any good. They wiped them out and still travelers vanished and still there were gnawed bones. So they wiped them out again. After that, they gave up and people detoured the, t- the oasis. It made a longer, harder trip, but after all, Talent laughed. You mean to say these carkers were immortal? I don't know about immortal. They somehow just didn't die very easy. <laughs> Maybe if they were the benders, and I sort of like to think they were, they learned a little more about what they were doing out there on the desert. Maybe whatever they made their sacrifices to understood them better out here than in Kansas. And what's become of them, aside from seeing them out of the corner of the eye? There's 40 years between the last of the Carker history and this new settlement at the Oasis. People don't talk much about what they learned here in the first year or so. Only that they stay away from the old Carker adobe. They tell some stories. The priest says he was sitting in the confessional one hot um, Saturday afternoon. Thought he heard a penitent come in. He waited a long time and finally lifted the gauze to see was anybody there. Something was there. Ooh, spooky. And it bit. He's got three fingers on his right hand now, which looks funny as hell when he gives a benediction. Hmm. Talent pushed their two bottles toward the bartender. That yarn, my young friend, has earned another beer. How about a bartender? Is he always cheerful like this, or is this just something he's improvised for my benefit? The bartender set out the fresh bottles with great solemnity. Me? I wouldn't have told you all that myself, but then... He's a stranger, too, and maybe don't feel the same way we do here. For him, it's just a story. It's more comfortable that way, said the young man with the beard, and he took a firm hold on the beer bottle. But as long as you've heard that much, said the bartender, you might as well. It was last winter when we had that cold spell. You heard funny stories that winter. Wolves coming into the prospector's cabins just to warm up. Well, business wasn't so good. We don't have a license for hard liquor, so the boys don't drink much beer when it's that cold. But they used to come in anyways because we've got that big big oil burner. So one night, there's a bunch of them in here. Old Jake was here, that that was that you was talking to, and his dog, Wyatt. I, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say young Wyatt. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I hear somebody else come, and I think I hear somebody else come in. The door creaks a little, but I don't see nobody. And the poker game's going, and we're talking just like we're talking now, and all of a sudden, I hear a kind of noise like crack over there in that corner behind the jukebox near the burner. Go over to see what it was, and it gets away before I can see it very good. But it was little and thin, and it didn't have no clothes on. Must have been damn cold that winter. Ugh. What was the cracking noise, Talon asked dutifully. That? 
That was a bone. It must have strangled the dog without any noise. It was a little dog. It ate most of the flesh, and if it hadn't cracked the bone for the marrow, it could have finished. You can see, still see the spots over there. The blood never did come out. There had been silence all through the story. Now suddenly all hell broke loose. The flight sergeant let out a splendid yell and began pointing excitedly at the pinball machine yelling and yelling for his payoff. The construction worker dramatically deserted the poker game, knocking his chair over in the process, and announced lugubriously that these guys uh, here had their own rules, see? And the atmosphere of Carker-inspired horror was dissipated. Hmm. Talent whistled as he walked over to put a nickel in the jukebox. He glanced casually at the floor. Yes, there was a stain, for what that was worth. He smiled cheerfully and felt rather grateful for the Carkers. They were going to solve his blackmail problem very neatly. Hmm. Double jeopardy. <laughs> so we got some uh, some more detail about what's going on out there in the desert and some more sightings by the people mm-hmm. of this weird scurrying thin brown thing. Mm-hmm. Talent dreamed of power that night. It was a common dream with him. He was a ruler of the new American corporate state that would follow the war. <laughs> and he said to this man, come. And he came. And to that man, go. And he went. And to his servants, do this. And they did it. Then the young man with the beard was standing before him, and the dirty trench coat was like the robes of an ancient prophet. And the young man said, You see yourself riding high, don't you? Riding the crest of the wave, the wave of the future, you call it. There's a deep, dark undertow that you don't see, and that's a part of the past, and the present, and even your future. There's evil in mankind that is blacker even than your evil, and infinitely more ancient. Hmm. And there was something in the shadows behind the young man, something little and lean and brown. Talent's dream did not disturb him the following morning, nor did the thought of the approaching interview with Morgan. He fried his bacon and eggs and devoured them cheerfully. <laughs> the wind had died down for a change, and the sun was warm enough so that he could strip to the waist while he cleared land for his shack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the machete glinted brightly as it swung through the air and struck at the roots of the brush. When Morgan arrived, his full face was red and sweaty. It's cool over there in the shade of the adobe, Talent suggested. We'll be more comfortable. In the comfortable shade of the adobe, he swung the machete once and clove Morgan's full red sweating face in two. What the fuck? It was so simple. It took less effort than uprooting a clump of sage. It was so safe. Morgan lived in a cabin way to hell and gone and was often away on prospecting trips. No one would notice his absence for months, if then. No one had any reason to connect him with talent. And no one in Oasis would hunt for him in the Carker haunted adobe. So yeah, he was some... This talent guy was spying in some capacity and uh, Morgan was the one person who knew it. So he's like, ah, I'm not even going to fuck around. And just wow. straight up killed the he guy. He straight up killed that dude. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And he's deciding he can hide the body in the uh, old Carker adobe because no one's going to go there. Oh, no. He's going to pay for his crimes by being bitten. <laughs> the body was heavy and the blood dripped warm on Talent's bare skin. Oh, he just up and did it. I like how they just go right there. They're not like building it up. It's just like. Yeah, it was. It, it, when I first read it, I was like, whoa. Oh, whoa. It just, it yeah. just happened so suddenly. This guy it's just so matter fucking killed this dude. Yeah. yeah. With relief, he dumped what had been Morgan on the floor of the adobe. <laughs> there were no boards, no flooring, just the earth. Hard, but not too hard to dig grave in. And no one was likely to come poking around in this taboo territory to notice the grave. Let a year or so go by, and the grave and the bones it contained would be attributed to the Carkers. The corner of Talent's eye bothered him again. Deliberately, he looked about the interior of the adobe. The little furniture was crude and heavy, with no attempt to smooth down the, stro- the strokes of the axe. It was held together with wooden pegs or half-rotted thongs. There were old, uh, age-old cinders in the fireplace and the dusty shards of a cooking jar among them. And there was a deeply hollowed stone, covered with stains that might have been rust, if stone rusted. Behind it was a tiny figure, clumsily fashioned of clay and sticks. It was something like a man, something like a lizard, something like the things that flit across the corner of the eye. (laughs) Curious now, Talent peered about further. He penetrated to the corner that the one unglassed window lighted but dimly. And there he let out a little choking gasp. For a moment he was rigid with horror. Then he smiled and all but laughed aloud. This explained everything. Some curious individual had seen this and from his accounts had burgeoned this whole legend. The Carkers had indeed learned something in the desert. But that secret was the art of embalming. It was a perfect mummy. Hmm. Either the process shrank bodies or this was that of a ten-year-old boy. There was no flesh, only skin and bone and taut dry stretches of tendon between. The eyelids were closed. The sockets looked hollowed out underneath them. The nose was sunken and almost lost. The scant lips were tightly curled back from the long and very white teeth, which stood forth all the more brilliantly against the deep brown skin. It was a curious little trove, this mummy. 
Talent was already calculating the chances for raising a decent sum of money from an interested anthropologist. Murder can produce such delightfully profitable chance byproducts when he noticed the infinitesimal rise and fall of the chest. The carker was not dead. It was sleeping. Ooh. Talent did not dare to stop th- uh, to think beyond the instant. This was no time to pause to consider if such things were, were possible in a well-ordered world. It was no time to reflect on the disposal of the body of Morgan. It was a time to snatch up your machete and get out of there. But in the doorway, he halted. There, coming across the desert, heading for the adobe, clearly seen this time, was another, a female. He made an involuntary gesture of indecision. The blade of the machete clanged ringingly against the adobe wall. He heard the dry shuffling of a roused sleeper behind him. Oh, boy. He turned fully now, the machete raised. Dispose of this near one first, then face the female. There was no room even for terror in his thoughts, only for action. The lean brown shape darted at him avidly. He moved lightly away and stood poised for its second charge. It shot forward again. He took one step back, machete arm raised, and fell headlong over the corpse of Morgan. Before he could rise, the thin thing was upon him. Its sharp teeth had met through the palm of his left hand. The machete moved swiftly. The thin, dry body fell headless to the floor. <laughs> there was no blood. The grip of the teeth did not relax. Pain coursed up Talon's left arm, a sharper, more bitter pain than you would expect from the bite, almost as though venom. He dropped the machete, and his strong white hand plucked and twisted at the dry brown lips. <laughs> the teeth stayed clenched, unrelaxing. He sat bracing his back against the wall and gripping the head between, uh, between his teeth. He pulled. His flesh ripped, and blood formed dusty clots on the dirt floor. Ugh. But the bite was firm. Uh, his world had become reduced now to that hand and that head. Nothing outside mattered. He must free himself. He raised his aching arm to his face. With his own teeth, he tore at that unrelenting grip. The dry flesh crumbled away in desert dust, but the teeth were locked fast. He tore his lip against their uh, white keenness and tasted in his mouth the sweetness of blood and something else. He staggered to his feet again. He knew what he must do. Later, he could use cautery, a tourniquet, see a doctor with a story about a Gila monster. <laughs> their heads grip too, don't they? but he knew what he must do. He raised the machete and struck again. His white hand lay on the round floor, gripped by the white <laughs> teeth in the brown face. He propped himself against the adobe wall, momentarily unable to move. His open wrist hung over the deeply hollowed stone. His blood and his strength and his life poured out before the little figure of sticks and clay. The female stood in the doorway now, the sun bright on her thin brownness. She did not move. He knew that she was waiting for the hollow stone to fill. The end. Ooh. Does he become one of them? I believe they just eat him. I think that's what they're going oh, for. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I'm not sure. I um but yeah. That is They Bite. Nice. By uh Anthony Boucher. That's spooky. Yeah. So that's what I got for this here Halloween, a nice uh brightly lit desert tale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, sometimes the scariest things happen in broad daylight. Mm-hmm. Um, dare I launch straight into my thing? Before you dare, perhaps we should thank some of the folks who help make Super Duper possible. I dare say we do. First and four phantoms most. <laughs> let's, uh, let's do the do, or, or do the drew, I should say. Oh, yes. We're talking about that a little brewery in Western Massachusetts. Which is where we are right now. Indeed. Four phantoms. We, in fact, this evening... Paid a visit to none other than the fifth Phantom himself, <laughs> Drew, who in something like about two weeks or so... Will be opening the uh, green Greenfield. Yes, nice. <laughs> the Greenfield uh, actual brick-and-mortar bar for four Phantoms, bar and, uh, and brewery situation. A very exciting prospect, one that, at the very least, I will get to take advantage <laughs> yes, of. Yes, you will delicious beer that combine of course heavy metal D&D and beer <laughs> to create beer beer they are distributing in Massachusetts and Rhode Island at most places where you can purchase other beer shaped libations <laughs> but if you feel like making the trip it's worth your time or please do just leave them a review on untapped com. If you leave a review there and mention our show in any capacity, we will read it on said show. Here's one from Audrey. hey I don't think I need to say which Audrey. If uh, you're listening to the show, odds are about 30% of you are doing so because of Audrey. Thank you, Audrey. That's right. That, of course, is Hepburn. <laughs> Audrey says, I finally had the attention span to download this app. 
I've been wanting to try it ever since my dear parasocial friends Jake and Wyatt were sponsored by Four Fandoms. One day I'll drink this for the spooky boys. And a couple of, uh, I think, uh, champagne flute emojis. Nice. Yeah. Not beer, but that's okay. <laughs> Could have been the clinking <laughs> beer stein. <laughs> yeah, and I think this was a, re- a review on Purple Potion, which I just actually grabbed a four-pack of for myself today. So Oh, yeah. It was a, a nice, uh, delicious... Um, uh, boysenberry sour with hints of lavender. Mm, it I is like so good. So yeah, that's that's another way you can support Four Phantoms. Four Phantoms supports us. You support them, you support us. It's all a good a circle of support. That's right. It's our support system. <laughs> yes. Um. So thank you very much, Four Phantoms. We love you. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think of something else that I love, which is our supporters on Patreon. Yes. I think we should boot up the uh, NC AAA device. Yes. Which is an ancient and somewhat evil-ish feeling machine. (laughs) Feeling. On which we will run the pander function, which of course stands for the patron appreciation neural die for evaluation of risk. This obviously is a computational protocol that will allow the NCAA to tap into the dark ether and tell us through our brains just exactly which creature, ghoulie, monster, or otherwise strange thing out there in the world our patrons need to be on the lookout for. You all knew this already. So, should Let's we plug it in? fire it up, yep. Boop. <sighs> <laughs> and now we'll plug these tendrils into the backs of our skulls so we can connect directly. Ah, so nice. And uh, first up, we're focusing on Elisa of Altanus, Iceland. Elisa, thank you for your support, and watch out for Trotterhead or Trotterkopf. Oh God, it's not great looking. Not great looking. It's a mysterious entity of Pennsylvania Dutch folklore, which is said to be related to witchcraft and described similar to the European. <laughs> A bed goblin. Oh, that also sounds bad. Elisa, as I'm sure you already know, early colonial Pennsylvania was a melting pot of various European religious influences. (laughs) And that's important because... Oh my God, going on and on. Because they all started to think about this horrifying monster that exists called Trotterhead. It looks like it may be... Oh, the bed goblin. Oh, so this is related to sleep paralysis, like the hag. It's the hag. Oh. Uh, essentially, it is a horrible ghoulish ghost that will haunt you at night. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing you could try, Elisa, to stave this thing off, you could scream out each night before going to bed <laughs> to prevent witches from bewitching cattle and... <laughs> That should do it. Yeah. Yell that every night, and if that doesn't work, don't sleep, and you'll be all set. Yeah, you'll be good to go. Thank you so so much much for your support support. on Patreon. We do dearly appreciate it. And I'm getting another reading from the Panner device. Ooh, it's downloading straight in. Mark C, a.k.a. AKA Moose. Mark, you need to watch out for... Oh, no. Aragonakulta'a. Araganakita ah. Oh, I thought that was an L. Oh, Araganak. God damn. It's known as the father or owners of all snakes in Argentinian Toba folklore. Gee whiz. Creature is said to have control over every snake in the world. So, Mark, right off the bat, stay away from snakes. Mm. Easy to do. Probably something you were already doing anyway. And if you have to, stay away from rainbows, water, and storms. Also, rivers, uh, caves that have access to water, which is, I think, all caves. Essentially anything that is liquid. They also shapeshifts to stay away from other stuff, too. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and, you know, so, thank, thank you so that's much. a tough one for you. Uh, sorry about that, but that is how the uh, pander function crumbles. crumbles. And uh, we do appreciate your support. Thank you yes. so much. If you yourself would like your name read out by the pander function <laughs> god damn it the panda program all you got to do is become a patron on our patreon at any tier sign up and you'll automatically get to be entered into the panda uh, algorithm and you'll also get That'll access do. to our super cool discord which is uh just a very fun place 
these days. Everyone's joining. It's, it's getting more and more fun. <laughs> everyone's, as everyone's doing it. All the cool kids are doing that's it. That's right. So that's just if you join at any level. Plus, you also get monthly outtakes, which I carefully oh, curate yeah. from all of the goofs and spoofs that we uh, all, all of our fuck em ups from that <laughs> episode, prior ups. month's episodes. There's gaffs and laughs in there as well. That's, that's true. That's a very important uh, thing to note. We also have uh, bonus mini-sodes, which are pretty fun. Oh, yeah. And quarterly stickers. There's just a lot of good stuff. And another thing happening right now, if you are one of our first 100 patrons, you will get a super cool, super superstitious branded tulip glass, Belgian beer glass. What do you it want is it? swanky as hell. We still have room for, I think, about 16 more patrons. Thereabouts. So jump on board, and you can add to your cupboard <laughs> a very cool glass. Cooler still, I've been talking about trying to get them going. So we have them now. We fucking have them. I brought some <laughs> glasses with me here. in hand. Yeah, we, we. If we hadn't had so much to eat and drink tonight, we would be drinking beer out of those glasses right now. That's right. We have feasted like kings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're having the most terrifying experience which is attempting to record the podcast while a little bit sleepy <laughs> so try it at home you'll realize just how try to record an episode of this show while tired and see how you do that's right do it we'll wait we'll wait submit it right now <laughs> go for it and uh, uh anyway if you do uh miss the cutoff for 100 don't worry <laughs> the uh your anniversary gift for supporting us on patreon for a year will be one of those glasses everyone will get one that's right in due time and we also have the option the uh, the discounted option of signing up for a, an annual plan you get i think 12 months for the cost of 10 and uh you would automatically get the glass immediately if you, you pretty that, much so. get the glass for free and uh now that we've got them in the pipeline i think the artisan who is drying them by hand each one by one <laughs> which is the only way that we can explain how much time they took to make these <laughs> has got it down yes so it'll be faster. Yes, indeed. What more is there to be said? I have, we should probably unplug these things from our brains. Oh, yeah, I agree. Okay, sounds good. Ah, so much better. So for my section today, I will be carrying over from the minisodes, my <laughs> minisode mega project. Oh, man. We did recently have, uh, we did bring one of those minisodes out from behind the paywall so you can check it out. And in that particular minisode, you may have heard a little bit of, of the uh, project White has undertaken, but we got an even better Halloweener version of that tonight. That's right. This, of course, is my effort to provide any kind of structure for myself to have fun. <laughs> and if Jake has fun, too, well, then great. And if you do, well... This all started with Hometown Horrors. I looked for a frightening story that had to do with anything with that state, and... I set myself a series of rules, which I will now read. Let's just get right into it. Yeah. So, rule number one. We're both hearing the story that I'm about to read for the first time. Mm -hmm. Number two, I'll set a timer for 15 minutes. Oh, that's right. I guess in this case, it'll be a little more than 15. Oh, oh, we'll do nope. maybe two or three 15-minute chunks. <laughs> All right, there you go. <laughs> um, 15 minutes is appropriate for the minis. Uh, number three, if at any point it's no longer fun, we'll assume the story ends there and do a talk back. Number four, if we decide it's still fun, I carry on. Number five, we add another rule every time I read an additional section, including today. If and when, this is number six, Jake decides the story is no longer good and brings the gavel down, the episode will simply end and we will never speak of it again. <laughs> number seven, anytime the word cicada is said, we must make a chittering sound. Number eight, whenever fuck is used in a way that seems excessive, we will pause and sigh. Number nine, I will do at least two more stories before we decide whether I go on with this Minnesota project or change it a tiny bit and still just go on with it until we get sick of it anyway. This doesn't count for this episode because it's not a Minnesota. Right. Number 10, we reset the rules after rule number 30, <laughs> taking only the best five rules with us into the new ruleverse. <laughs> Number 11. We'll keep going. <laughs> Clock hasn't started. If the author cannot handle pronouns well, they may lose those privileges. That's right. I forgot about that. Number 12. If the story is relatively close to finished and the timer is about to run out or has run out, I will blitz the finish. 
Right. And number 13, the unspoken rule that That's was crafted right. during the last episode. I'm very excited. If and when a character explodes in a blood <laughs> mist, we will state, remember Jerry Jr. <laughs> and that is... That is a very good rule. The additional rule for this particular reading... <laughs> Which, of course, we are still on Chapter 2, Charismodo. We're doing the side story, though. We're going on a slate deep dive into Charismodo's uh, back catalog here. We, we left off mid-story in the minisodes. We want to keep that going in the minisodes so it's not Correct. weirdly disjointed. So if you've been keeping up during the minisodes, you know, rest assured we'll return to wherever I left off there. And there's a good chance still of a blood mist trifecta with that one. Yes. Yes. Or Blood Miss Hat Trick, sorry. Charismoto is the second author that we followed from Red No Sleep. And they have, in two of three stories now, had their had a victim essentially turn into a blood mist. Yeah, just explode. And we're on our way in a third installment in the minisodes, and we've yet to discover if that will happen again. But for today, I will instead read a, a story by Charismoto from five years ago. Mm-hmm. A post on Reddit entitled, Don't Look Out the Window or You'll Kill Me and You'll Be Next. And this is an NSFW story. Oh. So look out. Either it's extremely sexy or more likely it just uh, involves someone exploding into blood. I'm really hoping for the blood mist on this Halloween episode. Let me just get my timer going here. Mm -hmm. Creating it. Are you searching for that one timer as... Yes, even though I could fabricate a new one at any moment. How many timers you got? I have too many. Okay. And what what you timing these days? What kind of things? Uh hard boiled eggs. Uh a few of these look like for different (laughs) recipes. Different timer for each egg every time you go. go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I get it down to the second. Okay. Here we go. Setting the timer. Fifteen minutes. And I believe I'll just launch right in. Great. I don't know if I should tell this story. Maybe it's better to ignore it. But I saw where that gets you. People are too curious, too distracted. So maybe this is enough. Wouldn't it be funny if this was the one time I brought the hammer down and ended the Halloween episode before you got to do anything? That would be a bold move. <laughs> I would, hey, I'd have to respect it. I. It was my mistake to bring these rules into this space. <laughs> It's now your privilege. So maybe this is enough. Maybe this will teach you. My story begins less than a year ago, about seven months ago. Could have just said that. I was fresh out of college with a BA in business management at the second best college in a city a half hour's drive from where I lived. Long since. I was a pretty social guy, had lots of friends, and was a hobbyist bird watcher. Hmm. My outgoing nature paid off as I had made enough connections to be able to score a job pretty quickly after I graduated, which is a dream for most grads. So naturally, I moved to the city. I got a pretty decent gig as an accountant for a medium-sized law firm that was owned by a family friend. The salary was good, and so were the benefits. Then there was the office. (laughs) Not only was the building right on the edge of downtown, a five-minute walk to more restaurants than I could count for lunch break, but I'd been given an office right beside a window on the ninth floor facing it all. So he gets to look at restaurants all day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, office is maybe a strong word, more like a refurbished broom closet, but it had a view and I could get work done in peace. You know those closets with windows? Classic closet. The first month or so of working was great. Don't get me wrong, I wasn't in love with accounting, but when you're pulling in decent money at 24 years old, you work like your senior candy tester at the Willy Wonka factory. And when there was downtime at the office, I'd just sit and look out the window, staring at the little people marching along like ants in the street or looking for interesting birds flying by. You know, the kind, pigeons only. I remember the first time I saw it. It was a bright Thursday, around maybe 10 or 11 in the morning. I was nursing my second coffee of the day while browsing the skyline when my gaze crossed a splotch on a building two blocks off, an old concrete tower with gothic edging on the windows. You know how when you're so used to seeing something that the moment something is different, you see it immediately? 
Yep. I did a double take, looking again where I'd seen it. All I saw that time was a window, dark on the other side. I shrugged it off. But when I looked again, after getting halfway through my copy, I saw it again. This time, I looked closer, really burying some measure of the lead here. (laughs) At first, it looked like a stain on the side of the building. Almost the same color as the concrete covered this already, but not quite. Problem was, it was on the window, not the wall. And nor was it on the sweat dripping down my balls. <laughs> um, you were about to say, Jake? I uh, know, just we both were thinking the same thing. Yes. I squinted to try to get a better look. That's when I realized it wasn't a stain. Oh, boy. It was a man. I raised an eyebrow. <laughs> Did you hear that, guys? Yeah. That's why his eyebrow. When you're that disconnected from something, with that sort of distance, it's hard to feel anything other than a slight, huh. I wasn't scared, just intrigued. From a distance, it looked like a strange crouched outside this window, easily a good 12 stories up. It was squatting like a kid staring inside a candy store, with face and both hands pressed against the glass. It looked like it was wearing a coat of some sort, the color nearly identical to the building. When I called a co-worker over to check out, quote, this nut climbing a building, though, it was gone. It was then that I suddenly felt it. Even though I laughed off the embarrassment, a slight cold in the pit of my gut. (laughs) After that day, it became a disturbingly common occurrence, on and off, sometimes several times a day, sometimes only once or twice a week, I would see the man on the windowsill at the same damned window, always in the same damn position. Whenever I looked outside, I'd always check that spot first. More often than not, he wouldn't be there until I looked again seconds later. I was starting to go from confused to creeped out. (laughs) (laughs) Slowly starting to get there. Yeah. (laughs) Just beginning. I knew the building, too. After hopping off the subway, I'd walk past it on the sidewalk. Every time I craned my neck to look up, though, the man was never there. Only when I looked outside my window at the office. Eventually, though I was reluctant, I called the cops, telling them there was some nutjob creeper making a sheer 12-story climb just to peer into a window. I think you can imagine how that call went. Pretty much the same thing happened when I would mention the man over drinks with my pals. They'd all laugh at me, some telling me to write it down in my bird-watching guidebook. I laughed at it too, back then. The man in the window started to plague my mind. I'd have nightmares about seeing him change windows. This is not that scary. (laughs) Getting closer and closer to my building each time I looked. I'd wake in a cold sweat, not knowing why. It's also not that absurd. He's kind of like... He's keeping it very straight this time. Interesting. Despite being creeped out, the man never seemed dangerous, just peering into that window. That actually gave me an idea. The one person who would believe me would be someone who saw the man on the windowsill. The person in the window. Mm -hmm. Doing some research and some window counting... I managed to nail down that the floor belonged to a small tech startup specializing in research software. Nothing particularly sketchy. During my lunch break, about four months after the man on the windowsill first started appearing, I went up to that office. I walked like I had business there, and no one stopped me. Everything in there seemed like normal, nondescript office building. Oh, (laughs) I left the uh off. (laughs) Everything in there seemed like a normal, nondescript office building. I admit I was a bit disappointed. I expected the man on the windowsill to be looking into this place for a reason. Eventually, I found the office. I knocked on the door and was invited in. I slowly opened the door. My eyes glued to the window across from me as I stepped inside. I didn't realize I had been holding my breath until I sighed in relief at not seeing the man on the windowsill looking in. Inside was a young and kind of pretty woman, a bit older than me with lovely red hair. Again, not what I was expecting. Confused as to who I was, I introduced myself to her and made... He was confused. (laughs) Pronouns. 
and made small talk to try and break the ice a bit. I made up some bullshit about being nude, uh, about being a new hire, <laughs> being nude, about being nude, <laughs> and taking and taking a look around the office. She was friendly, surprisingly so. Then I asked her about the man on the windowsill, half jokingly. The mood in the room instantly turned to ice. The woman with the red hair went a sickly white and whipped her head to look out the window. Thankfully, he hadn't appeared while we were talking. That weird cold in my gut was brewing again, and it intensified as the woman told me she had no idea what I was talking about and to get out of her office. When I tried to apologize, she screamed that she would call security. I can't forget the look on her face, wide-eyed, almost in tears. The entire time, she insisted that I was making it up and to leave her alone. I quickly slipped out of the building, fear nodding my stomach. There was something I didn't know about the man on the windowsill, and part of me never wanted to find out. Something like, you know, his entire deal? Yeah. <laughs> when I got back to the office, the man on the windowsill was back in his usual spot, peering into the office of the woman with the red hair. Time went by agonizingly slow after that. I focused hard on my job, but my performance was slipping, and I felt like staring at the paper was just an excuse not to look out the window and risk seeing the man on the windowsill. My birthday rolled around eventually, and I'd totally forgotten as I'd stopped really paying attention to the calendar. The surprise party back at my house, though, managed to finally ease my spirits somewhat. For the first time in ages... I forgot the man on the windowsill. That is, until I opened my present. It was a man <laughs> on a windowsill. All my friends had pitched in and had gotten me a really nice pair of binoculars. Mm. Although it was fantastic for bird watching, my mind immediately knew what its true use would be. The next morning at the office, I worked diligently. Every now and again, I'd glance out the window, hoping to catch a sight of everyone... The, the man, man on the, the windowsill. Window I started getting frustrated as every time I looked, he still hadn't appeared. That is, until around five, mm -hmm. when most people were starting to go home. My heart leapt into my throat when I saw him, sitting right where he'd always been. I locked my eyes on his back and, without looking, scrambled for the binoculars I'd brought in my bag. <laughs> Just knocking shit all over. I didn't want to lose him again. I peered into the, into the lenses, and then I saw him up close for the first time. My suspicion was right. He was wearing a coat. It was one of those old coats, you know, the ones with the two tails on the back. Trench coat? I'm guessing, yeah, something like that. Some sort of overcoat situation. Or a tailed coat. A, <laughs> he was wearing a tuxedo. He was wearing a tuxedo. He had matching tight pants and boots, all the same color as the building, and a bald head. I looked for climbing gear, hooks, ropes, anything to prove that I wasn't just imagining this weirdo. There was nothing. Just his bare hands pressed against the glass. I trailed the binoculars back up from his hands to his face. The man was no longer looking out the window. Wait, was he looking out the window? I thought he was looking in the I window. I thought he was looking in the window. I thought he was like hovering on the side of the building, staring in. That was my thought this entire time. Oh, maybe he fucked up. I think he might have fucked up. The man was no longer looking out the window... Looking he was looking window, straight back into my eyes. Uh, yeah, looking out the window. Yeah. It was like every drop of water in my body froze on the spot. For what felt like an eternity, I locked eyes with the man who is not a man on the windowsill. <laughs> His eyes were large, too large, the size of a fist and bugged wide. His mouth was stretched downwards in a contorted Oh, face. <laughs> uh, this is why it's not safe for work. There we go. Finally solved it. It was like a cartoon face of a man surprised at having been caught, but wrong. All wrong. His pupils, like pinpricks at first, slowly widened like a cat's until his eyes were entirely black, and they never left mine. I finally ripped the binoculars off my face and sprinted out the office. I felt like I was going to throw up. Everything in my body was screaming and tensing, telling me I'd done something terribly wrong. I took the long way home. I locked my door, pulled my blinds, and threw myself under my covers. I didn't sleep that night. 
I missed that next day of work and came in the next after an earful from my boss. The walk to work was like walking through minefield. <laughs> Everywhere I looked, I expected to see that face again. Almost at the office, I bumped into a crowd clustered around the sidewalk and the wailing of sirens. Officers were trying to keep folks moving along, but they all stayed in place, their necks craned to look upwards. I knew what building it was. Hmm. I knew what I would probably see. I knew whose blood it was, dripping along the side of the concrete office in slow, lazy lines. I looked up anyways, trembling like a leaf. The police called it a suicide, but I knew it wasn't. No one commits suicide by sticking their head through a window and forcing their throat down on the splintered glass. <laughs> the woman with the red hair could never have pushed the entire push with enough force to nearly decapitate herself. And the police never explained why the broken glass wasn't on the sidewalk, but scattered over the inside of her office. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a suicide. It was murder. It was my fault. It doesn't like being looked at. I never learned who the man who isn't a man on the windowsill was, but I don't think I ever will. His name is a lot longer than that. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't talk, you know. It just stares into my window, that surprised, bug-eyed face pressed against the glass. It doesn't move. It doesn't breathe. It just stares with that coat and skin now, the same icy blue as my office building. <gasps> I don't look out the window anymore, so please, God, I beg you, don't look out there either. The end. Wow. Whoo! Well, that's 15 <laughs> minutes right there. It is indeed. Um, I am picturing, when you said the cartoon thing, I'm picturing, like, an old, old, like, rubber hose cartoon where like, the eyes are, like, a kind of, like, the pupil is a black oval with a little uh, chink out of it. You know what I'm talking about? Like, the little... Yes. The yeah. little shine mark. Yeah. But it's, like, just a little wedge kind of cut out of it into the... I, of, like, I gave him more credit than he was due because it made me think of the cursed painting. Oh, yes. Anguished Man. Ugh. Which is much creepier. That actually was uh, creepier than I expected it to yeah. be. Also, here's an example of what I was thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> you ever see the, uh, what is it, um, uh, Coco the Clown thing? It's um, uh, hmm. a Cab Calloway song from... Betty Boop Snow White thing way, way back when. Is that the one where... The dancing, like, yeah, skeleton and stuff? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. It's funny, I was watching it the first time, I was like, this is way too well animated. They rotoscoped this? And they did. They rotoscoped Cap oh, Calloway wow. dancing to that's make so cool. the clown dancing, yeah. I think I knew that, but I forgot that, too. It's super cool, though. What's yeah. the song again? I forget. St. James Infirmary Blues. That's the one. I think we wrap it. I'm so tired. <laughs> it's, it's 11 o'clock. Um, surprisingly spooky from yeah. our intrepid author here. And uh, definitely restraint. It's funny that he had more restraint earlier on in his, uh, in his writing. And later on just kind of went further and further afield with... Uh, Maybe he slightly trapped lightning in a bottle and wanted to do it again. And, and he then... thought that the part that worked was the amount of blood that was present <laughs> at the end and decided to just keep ramping that up. Yes. <laughs> I am I am still hopeful for the trifecta on his uh, other story. Yes. We'll see. The Blood Mist Saga. Um, <laughs> and from there, who knows who the next No Sleep author will be. That's right. Surprisingly spooky story. I'm glad for it. And a surprisingly spooky Hallow's Eve. Yes. Happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Thank you Halloween. so much for joining us for it and for this. And uh, we're going to go sleep now. <laughs> and we'll see you again soon. Probably. Probably. Most likely. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, goodbye. Bye. Bye.